It is good to see you today. And uh, as we kind of start to talk through some things this morning, I want to thank you for continuing uh, to pray for our uh, mission teams who've been gone over the last week or so. Uh, we're glad that our, our uh, team from, from Taiwan, the short-term team, they're, they're back home safely, which we're grateful for. And then the Togo team, uh, they'll be returning here really soon, within even, even uh, the next day or so. They'll start their way back this direction. So just want to thank you for praying for them. Uh, sometimes I fear that because of our long-term involvement, because you hear us often talk about people who are, who are traveling, people who are going, that, that sometimes I kind of fear that we will get lax in our prayer. We will get lax in fighting for them. And I just don't ever, ever want that to happen. And I thank you for not letting that happen. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. All right? Speaking of Togo, I brought this with me today. Um, this is a, uh, a painting um, that I purchased in Togo probably 10 years ago, I would say now. It is significant to me. This, this painting is either hung on the wall uh, in, in our home or in my office for the last 10 years. It is significant to me. The significance is not because of its cost. Literally a few dollars uh, can, can purchase this in Togo. But its significance really is because of what it represents. It was an afternoon that a team of us had the privilege of uh, doing ministry in an orphanage in uh, the southern part of the country of Togo. I remember arriving at the place, um, as is often the case there, there's a, a, a line of trees that are often serve as the border for a piece of ground. It, it, it makes you <clears throat> excuse me, feel like you are sometimes in a courtyard because of the way it's shaped. And, and so it was a courtyard where we could play with the kids. Some of you remember back in the day, we used to have this giant parachute. It was all, we called it a parachute. It was all kinds of colors, and you could use a ball and keep the, make the ball fly in the air. And it was just all kind of cool stuff. And, but the reason we play games is in order to tell stories. Because we believe we have the greatest stories in the world to tell. They are the stories about Jesus. Our mission in Togo is the same mission that it is here. It is to declare how great our God is. It is to magnify how great Jesus is. And so on that day, it was uh, Elisa. She was then or. This is before she was married. And she, she beautifully unpacked a Jesus story on that day. And then she called the children to respond well, because I wasn't telling the story that day, I'm watching what's happening around us. And what I noticed is that uh, while she was talking, a lady slipped through the tree line, and she, she kind of moves up next to a well that was on the edge of the property there. By the container that she brought with us, it was obvious that she came there to draw water. But she lingered, and she listened. And I watched her while Elisa was watching these kids and telling the story. And as Elisa wraps up the story and she begins to call those kids toward an opportunity to respond to this Jesus that they are hearing about, I'm watching this lady. And when the kids bowed, she bowed. 
And when the kids prayed to call out to Jesus, this lady standing at the well, she called out to Jesus. On that trip when I saw this painting, I bought it. Because I never, ever wanted to forget what I saw happen that day. This painting reminds me of the greatest truth. It is the truth that shapes my life. It is the truth of of why I do what I do. It is how far God's love will go to get to us. We hear that story about the lady and we go, well, isn't that kind of cool? Because obviously that day wasn't for her. Oh, yeah, it was. We didn't realize we were there for her. We thought we were there just for, for a group of kids, and so everything was geared toward kids, and everything was about the kids. But on that day, our God was about her. It was our God that leads her through an opening in the trees. It was our God that puts her at that well at just the right time that day in order for her to hear an eternal truth about an eternal love. And on that day, that lady responded. And so this always hangs on my wall because I never want to forget the truth of a God whose love will go much further than I can even imagine. It's a love that goes much further for you than you can even imagine. I love the painting because it also parallels another story. Another story of another woman and another well. And at that well, she encounters Jesus, and it is forever life-changing for her too. And what you may not realize is that embedded in that story, embedded in that story, Jesus teaches something crucial about worship. And so that's where we've been hanging out for the last month or so in this series called This Is What We Do. This is what we do. We worship. We we have discovered that our God gave us breath to worship him. It's what we're here for. But because of our sinfulness, we will often settle for less. We don't want to settle for less. We don't want to settle for less when we come together in a moment like this. We don't want to settle for less in our lives. We want to worship him. And so really to kind of wrap up this series, it's going to be a two-week wrap. Today, I want to get you to what Jesus said. And then next week, we're going to unpack what he said even more as it pertains to who we are as a church and where I believe we are in what he said. So, the Bible tells us that the story happens as Jesus is on his way to Galilee, but he has to go through Samaria and he stops at a well there. And when he stops at this well in Samaria, there is a woman who comes there to draw water, and Jesus has a conversation with her. Jesus, just being the master teacher and communicator that he is, it is often the case that he would use whatever was right in front of him in order to make the connection. And so the first thing Jesus talks with her about is water. She's there to draw water. He wants a drink of water. But the statement that he makes to her is, if you knew, lady, who you're talking to, 
You would be asking me for water, and I would give you the kind of living water that that takes care of a soul where it will never thirst again. This is the kind of water on the inside that will fill you up for all of eternity. It is a spring, a well that is welling up to eternal life. But honestly, you read the story, and it's like, I don't think she got it. I don't think she yet knows who she's talking to. And so, it it seems like then Jesus kind of transitions the conversation, and he says, go get your husband. And her response is, I don't have one. To which Jesus replies, that's correct. You've actually had five husbands, and the man you're living with now, you're not married to him. And her response is, it makes me laugh every time, oh, you're a prophet. Now, I laugh at that because I don't, I don't really think it would be appropriate for me to try to describe to you with words what I think she was actually thinking at that moment. I think there were some things that went through her mind at that moment that that probably it just wouldn't be right to verbalize. To be honest, they just should be kept to yourself. But the way she verbalizes it is, oh, you're a prophet. Which means you just got all that right. That's what it means. You, You got all that right. I want you to watch at what this woman does next. Verse 19 of John chapter 4. Verse 19 of John chapter 4. Here's, here's, uh, here's where she goes. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, I am convinced what happens right here is this lady is in the middle of a conversation now. She does not want to be in. I don't want to talk about my past five relationships that are no more for whatever reason. And the fact that I'm now in a relationship with a guy that I'm not married to, I don't want to talk about that. And so instead of talking about that, let's talk about worship. That's good. Let's talk about worship. I'm convinced she wants to talk about worship to escape. And here's what's interesting to me. Jesus does it. It is interesting to me that Jesus is willing to leave that conversation about her adultery, and move on to a conversation about worship. Some of us might should take notice of that when we're talking to people, and sometimes the issue that we've got in our head is how big their sin is, and I don't know, we probably should just follow Jesus on some of these patterns. He's very truthful with her. She knows that he knows what's going on in her life, but it is interesting that he is willing to leave behind the adultery issue and interest. He doesn't even bring it up again in this whole story. 
And he goes with her to this topic of worship, but not on the particular issue. Because it is obvious this woman's issue, she is on the surface. She is operating on the surface. Now, worship is a great conversation. It is. Because worship is about the heart. Worship is about connecting with God. But she wants to talk about worship by talking about mountains. Should we worship on this mountain, which was the mountain of Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans believed that that the place of worship was to be? Or should we worship on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which Jesus, I know that's where the Jews say that that's where the place of of worship to me. She wants to talk about mountains, and in this particular case, it, it is superficial. In their day, it was an important conversation. But to God, it was not an important conversation. That's where she was. And I don't know how else to say this. That's where I fear that some of us are too. That's where I fear some of us are too. That we know how to talk religion. We know how to deal in religion. But relationship, that's the question. There's nothing wrong with with buildings and sound systems and projectors and lights until, until those kinds of things become the evaluation for us in terms of worship. How was worship today? Well, the big projector wasn't working. How was worship today? I don't know, something was off with the sound system. How was worship today? I don't know, it seems like the lights were just weird. So how how was meeting with God today? Like, well... I don't know, because the projector, projector wouldn't work, and the sound seemed to be weird, and the lights were just kind of going, I, I, how was meeting with God today? I, I, I don't know. I didn't actually think about that. It's like focusing on the mountains and missing the whole purpose. It's superficial. Verse 21, here's where Jesus goes. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Trust me, he says, believe me. This is, this is not a question of a Samaritan mountain or, or, or a Jewish mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Gerizim. It, it is about neither of those. Now listen, we don't understand how stunning of an answer that is coming from a Jew. Because for a Jew, Jerusalem is the, is, the, is the answer. And it's not just the answer, but it is the emphatic answer. I mean, it, this is about Jerusalem, the city of David. This is about the place of the king. This is about the place of the temple. Everybody wants to be there for a Jew. But Jesus says the hour is coming where that is no longer going to be true. So you got the scene. You got got the scene of this whole, here's this woman at the well, Jesus with her. She's trying to avoid 
this very uncomfortable adultery issue going on in her life. She initiates what she hopes will become, an argument about worship. She's good with that. I believe with all my heart she is good with arguing with Jesus. If he will argue with her about worship, at least we're not going to deal with my stuff. But instead, Jesus says, oh, I want you to know we are on the brink of something so new. The hour is coming when worship will no longer be a geographical question. It won't be about that mountain or this mountain. It won't be about that building or this building. Worship will not be, we got it, about where. It will be about whom and how. Jesus said this is the conversation that needs to happen. It's not about where anymore. It's not about a mountain. It's, it's not about a church building in any town. It's not going to be about where. It's going to be about whom and it's going to be about how. So whom is this about? Go back to verse 21. Back to verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship whom? The Father. You will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not about the mountains. It, it, the whom that we worship, it is the Father. Now, my question is, why did he say the Father? Why did Jesus use that term? Well, I mean, wouldn't it be like, it's going to be like when you worship God. Why, why didn't he just say God? And I think there's an absolute reason that Jesus used the terms the Father. I, I think one of the reasons is, again, just like he linked the water that was right in front of them to talk about who he was, Jesus, I think the good listener that he is, he links some things that this lady has already said. Because what we've already read from verse 20 is she says, our ancestors, which can also be translated our fathers, if you will. It's the same, it's the same <clears throat> translation. Our fathers, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. <coughs> Sorry. And then we know, we didn't cover this part in the story, but back in verse 12, when Jesus is at the, the well with her, she asked him the question, are you greater than our father Jacob. He built this well. He drew water from here. And so already a couple of times in this conversation, this lady has used the language, our fathers, our father. It's in her language. And Jesus says, this is not about the fathers. This is about the father. And I'm going to tell you, I think what this lady, what, what Jesus is dealing with here, he, she is into, she is into the externals of a tradition. This is where our father Jacob built a well and draws water. This is where our fathers have always worshipped. This, this is how it has always been. This is how we have always done it. Come on, that, that, that so speaks to the worship world in our culture of this is how it, it's always been. You, you mess, come on, you, you start messing with people's corporate worship 
Start messing with the time, even. It's, it's got to be on a Sunday morning, and, and it's got to be at a certain time, and there's a certain order of worship, and there are certain songs that we have always sung. Come on, we have lived through. We have lived through this struggle. And Jesus says it's not about any of that stuff. It is not about the fathers. It's about the Father. And I think when he brings up the Father, what automatically follows is the Father means there must be children. And the question should be, who are those children? And then the ultimate question should be, am I? And I think that's where Jesus has taken this lady. If he's the Father, then the Father has children, then who are his children, and am I? John's gospel tells us in the very first chapter, to, to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's where Jesus is taking him. And when you say the Father, it, it also makes reference to the Son, and he's dealing with, she is dealing with the Son who is standing right in front of her, the one who is essential to worship the Father. Look at these verses from John chapter 3. I just want you to hear them. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. I mean, the scripture is clear. It's not about the mountain. It's about Jesus. It's not about geographical location. It's not about the traditions of how always. No, it's about Jesus. It's about his presence. It's about him getting us to the Father. Remember in John chapter 2, verse 19, when, when Jesus was in this discussion, and he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Some of you remember that story. He's standing at the temple, the building of the temple, but, but he's referring to who? Himself. He's talking about what's going to happen when he dies, and three days later he would rise. He, he says, you destroy the temple and I'll raise it again in three days. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed, but guess what? Don't need a new building. You know why we don't need a new building? Because we already got a new person. It's Jesus. And this is where he was going in this whole conversation. When it comes to the place of worship, Jesus is the place. Jesus is the place. I think we got Jesus is the place you meet God anywhere on the planet. That's the point. It's not a mountain. It's not Jerusalem, not Gerizim. It's not a church building. It's Jesus. He is the place you meet God anywhere on the planet. Watch where he takes it next. Verse 22. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Now for me, I pause right there and go, ouch. That's painful. Because Jesus said, not only did you get the mountain wrong, but you don't even know who you're worshiping. Ouch. For salvation is from the Jews. What in the world is Jesus saying there? 
Here's, here's what I think he's saying. He's saying, you know that the Jews, the Jews teach this truth. A Savior is coming. That's the message. A Messiah, a Savior is coming. And he's coming through the line of the Jewish kings. And this Savior, he is so going to live. And he is so going to die. And he is so going to live again. <clears throat> that true worship is going to be possible through him. He's so going to live, he's so going to die, and he's so going to live again that true worship will be possible. And five-time married, living with the boyfriend women will also be able to know and worship this father. Woo! Because he's a savior. And he's coming through the line of the Jews but he's going to make it possible that all sinners, all sinners who all deserve hell can be forgiven and can be embraced by the Father through this Savior. That changes everything. The last verse of this whole story is verse 42. And in the last verse, this is the conversation that the woman is having with the crowd who eventually gathers there. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We can know whom we worship. We can know the Father, because the Father has made the way. John chapter 3 said, whoever believes in this Son, that these are the children of God. But the struggle is not, not even all the Jews believed that. They didn't. I want, you to sh I want to show you this really quick. There's, there's this conversation that Jesus has one time. It's recorded in John's Gospel. He has it with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the Jewish leaders. All right, these people are highly respected. They, they studied the Bible a lot. And here's the conversation that Jesus had with them. John chapter 8, verse 19. Then they asked him, that's the Pharisees, where is your father? Talking to Jesus. And this is Jesus' response. You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, we hear that and we go, oh, Jesus was a little tough with them. No, he wasn't. He was really tough with them. Because here's what you got to comprehend. These guys had memorized the Bible. I don't mean they memorized a couple of verses. These are the religious people who had memorized the Bible. And you know what Jesus said? You don't know God. Now, that kind of messes us up in our day, because surely somebody who's memorized the Bible would know God. Jesus said, no, you memorized the Bible, but you don't know God. You pray every day, but you don't know God. You, you come to worship in the temple. You offer sacrifices every day, but you don't know God. Now, as you can imagine, these people went ballistic. And you know what? That's happening more and more in the day in which we live too. 
What I'm about to tell you is very, very, very important as we march forward as followers of Jesus. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, even, even Judaism. Here's the question that always gets asked. Don't we all worship the same God? Don't we all worship the same God? Aren't we all calling out, really, Jeff, to the same God? And I'm telling you that I got no authority to answer that question. But Jesus has all authority to answer that question. And what he just said is, no, we don't. We don't all worship the same God. Jesus said, nobody comes to the Father but by me. He says, you don't know the Father if you don't know Jesus. That's what he just said. If you don't know Jesus, you, you don't know the Father. I'm encouraging you, don't abandon that truth just because you grow in fear, afraid of the consequences of a world that labels that kind of belief as hateful. That's what you're walking into. You are walking further into a culture and a world that says, if you believe what I just said, that's hateful. Do not back down from the truth that Jesus gives us. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. John chapter 5, verse 23, he says it in other places, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And he's not saying just honor him as a human prophet. If you don't honor him for who he is as God himself, he says you don't, you don't honor God. John chapter 5, verse 42 I know that you do not have the love of God, he says, in your hearts. In other words, here's what Jesus just said. If you don't know God, or if you don't know Jesus, and you don't honor Jesus, and you don't love Jesus, then you don't worship God. You don't. Jesus says in verse 46 of John chapter 5, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. He's talking to people who every week went into church, opened the Old Testament, and read the words of Moses. And Jesus says, you don't believe him because you don't believe me. In a pluralistic, multicultural, relativistic, and shrinking world. And what I, what I mean by shrinking world is that the Muslim and the Buddhist and the Hindu, they don't just live in Africa and Asia anymore. They are our neighbors. And they are our classmates. If you do what Jesus says do, then you will be radical enough to serve them. And you will love them enough to have conversations with them about who Jesus really is. And eventually the conversation is going to lead to this question that they ask to you. So, you're saying that if I don't embrace your Jesus, then I'm going to hell. 
What are you going to say? It is not the time to respond with, well, now, it, it is debated. I mean, this is kind of a, it's kind of a complex question that you're asking, and, and scholars kind of disagree. No, no, it, it doesn't matter if scholars disagree. We better go with what Jesus says, and I'm telling you, you get to that moment, it's time for you to roll with the truth. You better give them the truth, but listen to me, you better do it with tears in your eyes. You better do it with tears in your eyes. There ought to be a place that God has brought your heart to, to where when you say that to them, it is because you believe with all your heart, this is good news. This is good news that I'm telling you. It makes it possible that everybody can come to the Father. God has changed it all. We no longer are trying to earn our way in, which every other religion is declaring. you got to earn it. you got to work at it. No, he has changed everything. I want you. You in heaven with me. And I'm saying we ought to pray that God takes our heart to such a place that when that conversation comes, not only do we have the courage to say it, but there are tears that roll from our eyes because we love, not because we hate. Don't argue about the mountains. Don't get into an argument about mountains. Stay on Jesus, the one who came to rescue people. That's the mission. It's, it's what all the disciples died for. Our, our mission today, often as the church, really is most often to people who don't seem to want us there. And I'm saying sometimes that applies internationally to where we are now going to to people groups, we are now going to places in the world where where people believe different things. It may be that we're going where they don't want us. But I'm saying it also applies to your neighbor to some degree. It applies to the conversations that you're having with with people that you work with, you go to school with, and and we're, we're, we're we're going to people who don't necessarily want us to come to them. Well, then maybe we shouldn't go. Right? If they don't want us there, Jeff, maybe we shouldn't go. And I'm saying we better go back and read the New Testament again and ask, is that the picture of the early church? Is that what we saw those first disciples doing? Can you name one place for me that somebody wanted Paul to show up at? Every single place he went, right? They're either trying to stone him to death, they, they beat him to death, they, they're trying to put, they put him in prison. Give me one place where they wanted him to be there. He spent much time in prison because of what we're talking about. Don't go where you wanted. The mission is to go where we're needed. And they died in order to show This is who Jesus is. Because if you don't know a Savior, then you don't know God. Man. Let's get back to our story. Wrap this up. Verse 23. Yet a time is coming and has now come, Jesus says. 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. All right, now a few minutes ago he said the time is coming. Now he said not only is the time coming, but it's here. The hour is here. Why is the hour here? Because the sun is here. That's why. Here he is. He's standing right in front of her. He said, do do you understand that the the hour is here? True worshipers are going to worship the Father. And he seeks those worshipers. I love that. He seeks those worshipers. And how cool is it that he uses you as a part of the seeking? You are a part of the seeking of God. He sent a Savior to bring us into worship. And just in case you missed how to do that, he repeats it. He repeats it. He says, verse 24, God is spirit. Yeah, let's look at 23. Let's go back to 23. Watch this. Go back to 23. In the spirit, you will, you will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. Okay, those are the kind of, when he says something twice. When he says something twice. So 24, God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. What does that mean? Real quick, I want to tell you what that means. And then next week, we want to really dissect that even more and go, is that true here? Is it true here? When he says spirit, the question is, are we talking about the Holy Spirit or are we talking about our spirit? And I believe the answer to this is, is both in this sense. The Spirit means we, we are born again by the Spirit of God so that we have a living spirit with which to worship God. All right? We don't have a living spirit to worship God if the Holy Spirit does not make us alive spiritually in him. Remember what, what Jesus, went the conversation with Nicodemus, if, if you're not born again, you are spiritually dead. If you are not born again, if God's spirit does not live in you, then your taste buds for Jesus are dead. I mean, you, 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 you hear of him, you, you read of him, and it's just, you're, you're not wowed by who he is. But his spirit turns on the light in my soul, and his spirit makes my spirit alive in him. My spirit celebrates with his spirit. You care about God's word. You care about God's presence, and you care about that more than anything else on this earth. The Holy Spirit is essential to worship God in spirit. But don't be mistaken, because I believe that the context of what's being said here, it is ultimately referring to the human spirit. The spirit is necessary for that. But he's saying, when you worship God, It ought to be because you're bringing all of you. Like when you worship God and you're declaring that he is greater than anything else in the whole world, there should be an enthusiasm that comes with that. Your your spirit ought to bring it. There ought to be a, a joy that you bring with that. There ought to be energy that you bring with that. There ought to be passion that bring with you bring with that. So when you worship him in spirit and in truth, he really is the word I would use to summarize that whole deal right here. He's talking about enthusiasm. 
Do we do that? Do we do that? Like, well, sometimes. Sometimes. Projector wasn't working real well, though. <laughs> Sound was kind of off today. It's like, do we do that? Yeah, but if you take that too far, yeah, we're going to get to that next week. We, we will. We're going to talk about that next week. But he says when you worship him, you worship him in spirit. And I'm telling you, he's talking about an enthusiasm that has been awakened because the spirit of God is alive in you. An energy that you bring, a joy that you bring, a passion that you bring. And get this, we're not just talking about corporate worship. We learned last week, it's our life that worships. Not just spirit, but what? Truth. If I had to summarize truth, I'd summarize it with one word. To worship him in truth is, is Jesus. That's the word. It, it is Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. What does the spirit do? The gospel of John tells us it, it, it points the, the spotlight on Jesus. It, it, it magnifies him. He is the mountain. You don't go to Jerusalem. You don't go to Gerizim. You don't go to Mecca. You don't even have to go to a church building. You go to Jesus. All worship is Jesus-centered, and it's only through Jesus or we don't get to the Father. And so when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the Word. We are talking about Him, the, the Word incarnate, but it is also His spoken Word. And so for us, the Bible is absolutely crucial to this. The Bible being God's breathed Word that tells us the truth of who He is. It tells us the truth of how great he is. He tells us the truth of how he loves. He tells us the truth about the mission to which we have been called. It is God's word. It is the truth. In Jesus' day, he's dealing with some Samaritans who honestly were known for their passion. They were known for their enthusiasm, but they didn't have the truth. And then he's dealing with some Jews who had the truth, but they were missing the heart. So on one side, you've got enthusiastic heresy. <laughs> we're excited about it. It's just not the truth. We're passionate about it. It's just not the truth. And then on the other side, you've got lifeless orthodoxy, because we got the truth, if you want to hear about it. It seems like today, churches tend to look a lot like one or the other. Either there's enthusiastic heresy where there is a passion about what we call worship, but there's some things behind that that are not truthful, or... We're so attached to truth, and it's all about truth, but it's like, where is the passion that should go with that? And here's all, all what I'm saying today is, God does not seek one or the other. He says it's both. And he seeks worship. They worship him in spirit and in truth. There is supposed to be light, and there is supposed to be heat. 
They're both supposed to be present. And next week, that's what we'll wrestle with. I was thinking through this, just like, come on, if God seeks this, you read that, right? God seeks this, and God's spirit is, is the key to, it's like, so what is it, what is it that messes us up? Where do we get messed up in this deal? It's like, we, we should like do a sermon, like do, do, a, do a talk on like the hindrances to worship. It's a short list. It doesn't take real long to preach. Because here's the short list. Self. That is the hindrance. It really is. If God seeks it, his spirit empowers, what is the hindrance? It's self. And what happens is, come on, we come here pretending to worship God, but in reality, I am here for what I need. I'm here for what I need. I I, I come here under the banner of worshiping God, magnifying him, but I'm actually here today because there are things that I need, and I'm hoping that God can give those to me today. And maybe he'll either use somebody who's speaking or he'll use a, he'll, but I will get what I need. When my belief that I ought to be satisfied is placed above God being magnified, I have attempted to place myself above God. It is the false belief that he is here for me. This is, this is the way I kind of describe it sometimes. For most of us, worship is about a BLT. Y'all like a BLT? I like a BLT. I mean, one, I just like B, all right? Bacon, bacon's just good. Uh, it just is. God did good when God made bacon. That's my, that is my philosophy. And so the lettuce, whatever, but okay, it's part of the BLT, right? Uh, but but you, you get it. We, we get the BLT. But I, I think lots of times worship for us is a BLT experience because here's what I'm really after. I'm after a God who will bless me. No, I really am. I'm after a God who will bless me. That's the B. And I'm after a God who will love me. No matter what, I'm after a God who will love me. That's the L. And, and I'm after a God who will take care of me. And that's a big, that's a big deal, because so right now, whatever I need taken care of, that's, that's what I'm waiting on, that's what I need. A God who will bless me, a God who will love me, and a God who will take care of me. It's what I expect from God, and it's what I expect from the church, and when either one of those begins to let me down, I will just move on to the next option of who can fulfill the BLT. Sometimes it's just a church, Church can't serve up a good BLT, so I'll find another one that can serve a better BLT. Sometimes it's actually God, where it's like, God, if you're not going to serve it, then I'll just find what I'm after somewhere else. It's why we struggle. It's why we struggle when we're confronted with the truth. I mean, it's why we struggle sometimes with things, even like some of us, you hear me reference this, but it's what we're going through right now, kind of life teams are going through radical. It's why we struggle with that stuff. It is. It's, it's because the truth is I hold on too tightly to things of this world. And I can deny that all I want to, 
But when you push me on it, my heart will prove that I hold on too tightly. Because when you push me on it, it feels threatening. If I don't actually hold too tight, it's not threatening. I, I, I can say I don't value my comfort more than I value God. But if you try to take my comfort away, my heart will prove otherwise. I value my comfort more. It's why we struggle when we are confronted with truth. It's because we are often the thing that hinders what it means to truly experience worship of our lives to a God who is great, a God who is good. Next week, if you come back, we're going to get really practical with this in the house. Like, how, how are we doing? How are we doing? Spirit and truth, what is it that makes us afraid? What is it that we really should be careful of? What should we pay attention to? Where should we let go? Next week, we're going we're gonna to do our best to wrestle with that a little more. Before I close, though, it would be so wrong for me not to, to end the story that I started with you today. Here's this woman. I don't know that she fully understands. I know she doesn't fully understand the, all of the truth, all the theology that Jesus just unpacked for us for thousands of years after, but this woman's listening. She's listening, and she is right up next to the mystery that is being revealed right in front of her that day. Here's what she said in verse 25 of John chapter 4. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am. That's as plain as it gets. He's here. You're here today, and at least you gave the impression, which I'm grateful for, listening. And I'm saying I thank you for listening today. But maybe this is the day that's kind of like you stepped through a tree line and you felt like you came here today to kind of watch from a distance. But in the meantime, a God who loves you more than you can even imagine has decided to have a conversation with you today. And out of what we have talked about, you have heard how he loves. And you have heard the good news of a Savior. It's because he seeks you. He seeks you. Long before you ever thought about seeking him, he seeks you. And today, as he has spoken, my prayer is that if he has given you ears that can hear and a heart that wants to believe, I want you to do something with that today. I, I challenge you to call out to him. Maybe, maybe you say, I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe. Well, then tell him that. Tell him, tell him that you don't know 
if you believe. But I dare you to ask him to show you that he's real. I dare you. I dare you to ask him to show you that he's real. Maybe he has, and you're at that place of saying, I want to trust him. Jeff, I don't know what to do next, and I would love to have a conversation with you. We would love to have a conversation with you. I'm going to pray and close us out here in just a second, but we're not closed. We're, we're going to be available uh, right over here on the side. We'll be around the room. Some of those same folks who were available earlier to pray with you, we would love to just quickly have a conversation with you that could help you to begin to take some first steps in calling out to the one that you have been given breath to know and love and worship. I really do thank you for listening today. I'll pray for us. We would love to pray with you. And I'll see you next week, and we'll take the next step. Let's pray. God, I'm grateful that you are still showing up for women and men, students, children. God, we find ourselves at the wells of this life. God, looking for answers, looking for fulfillment, looking for hope, looking for peace. We, we find ourselves drawing from wells all around us. And you show up and you give us the truth of how you love us and how we were made for you. And so, God, I pray for those who might be here today that that's, that's their story. That's their moment. God, this is where they're at in life. And as they are searching, you are speaking. I pray that you give them the courage to call out. And I thank you for what you're going to show, God. I thank you for how you speak. I thank you for how you love. God, I pray that you give courage today for those who need to take that very first step. God, to have a conversation with us, perhaps to just begin what it means to follow Jesus. I pray that you would give us courage today to follow. And God, I pray for your church. God, I, we just sense, I believe this is not just me. I think together there is something that we sense together that when it comes to our worship, there are things that you want to unleash. There are things that you want to set us free from. God, there are things that you want to set us free to. And so I'm asking God this week, as we, we digest a little bit of the story that we had today, God, is even as we get ready to come together again next week, to, to God really continue to ask some questions and God ask you to, God, work those things through our heart. I'm asking you to grow us in our worship, God. It is clear this is not just about something that we need, which we do. But God, it is ultimately about what you seek. God, help us to do this right. God, help us to know this for real. We don't want to just deal in mountains. We, we don't want to just have arguments over what has been. God, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth that the world might know how great you really are.
I thank you for today, and I thank you for what you have shown us. We love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great week.